Welcome back to Tay Learning. My name is Olivia. My name is Danny, and we are your co-hosts. And today, we are very, very excited to be starting a new mini-series called Mental Cages, where we deep dive all of Taylor's anxiety slash mental health related songs. And we're kicking it off strong, starting with Antihero. I'm so excited about this particular mini series because this one has been a long time coming. After remaining relevant, our like first series on the podcast from last summer happened. When that one wrapped, it was like, wow, we really love doing these deep dives on these struggles that Taylor sings about. We should talk about the ones that are directly referencing, you know, mental health struggles. What do we call it that it feels appropriate and that feels apropos and feels right and so we landed on mental cages which is a lyric from another song and then anti-hero came out in the middle of all of that and we're like yo this is that song i literally remember her talking about what anti-hero was going to be before we heard the song and being like that's going to be in our series (laughs) (laughs) literally we we knew immediately and just to bring you all back in about how we do these series. We'll try to interweave them each week. We're not going to do these every single week. And as always, we start off kind of talking about the background of the song. We jump into analyzing the lyrics, and then we talk about what everybody felt about the song, critical reception from critics and from fans alike. So I think that Olivia is going to kick off some background of the song with what Taylor herself said the song was about when she announced the title. Yeah, so I love finding Taylor Swift explanation quotes from her own mouth because, you know, we can sit here and analyze the song all day, which is obviously her intent for us to hear it and interpret it how we will personally. But I always love to hear her own explanation of what inspired her song. So when the hype of Midnight's was going on before the album actually came out, she released a few instagram videos for a couple songs only explaining kind of the background of it and hype for listening to the track when it came out on midnights and this is what she said about anti-hero she said track three anti-hero is one of my favorite songs i've ever written i really don't think i've delved this far into my insecurities in this detail before i struggle a lot with the idea that my life has become unmanageably sized and not to sound too dark but I like struggle with the idea of not feeling like a person. Don't feel bad for me. You don't need to. This song is a real guided tour throughout all the things I tend to hate about myself. We all hate things about ourselves. And it's all of those aspects of the things that we like and dislike about ourselves that we have to come to terms with if we're going to be this person. I like anti-hero a lot because I think it's really honest. And we heard that and we're like, oh God. (laughs) Oh God. And honestly, I wasn't expecting it to be what it was. I think that it is a pop banger. We'll talk more about opinions at the end. But I think that this was an excellent lead single. And people tend to look past the lyrics just to listen to the pop part of it or they only focus on one controversial lyric sexy baby and they don't listen to anything else yeah like everything else goes out the window I did find another quote that kind of goes a little bit deeper that I wanted to share as well I'm not sure exactly where this quote originated from not sure if it was one of those like apple music like limited like song explanation snippets I don't know. I'm not sure. But she did say, quote, the story of Antihero is that it really encapsulates this album in sort of the darkest corners of your mind when you can't sleep. 
playing out a dismal version of your very dark future, being afraid of what everyone thinks about you, really exploring your own self-loathing and kind of having a shocking and scary self-awareness about your flaws as a human being. You know, anxiety. It's all throughout this song. Antihero, in my opinion, is truly such a behemoth when it comes to the lyrics, which is why we're going to dive right in and kind of talk about how she so poignantly masked these real self-hatred admissions in this poppy beat. And I just... I'm so jazzed to jump into this one because if you're a longtime listener, you probably know that Antihero was my number one favorite from the album on the first listen through. We were 10 seconds in and I looked at Olivia not knowing it was going to be a single, not knowing it was going to have commercial success. Mm -hmm. And I turned to Olivia and this is on video on her TikTok of me turning and going, I like this because I just knew. And so it's kind of suffered from Taylor Swift single syndrome for me a little bit, which is a bummer. That being said, I love this song and I can't wait to jump into it. So unless you have any more background, let's go. Yep, I don't. It's just the song is definitely very, very poppy. And I almost feel like she did it that way because the lyrics were too intense for it to not be poppy. We've said that before, that I feel like when Taylor digs really, really deep, she kind of covers that depth with a fun melody because if she sings it slow and sad, it'll gut her. Yeah. She's got songs that do that, Bigger Than the Whole Sky and The Great War, even Would Have, Could Have, Should Have, even though it's a driving beat, it's still not slow, but dark. And I just don't think she wanted this one to be one of them. Yeah, when she says that this is the deepest she feels like she's ever dove into her self-loathing, she needed a little bit of armor around it (laughs) before we jump into the lyrics let's talk about spotify for podcasters real quick be right back so let's jump into verse one and every one of these lines is going to have a breakdown which is a lot of fun for us Mm -hmm. so it opens with the lyric i have this thing where i get older but just never wiser which we already have to start breaking stuff down there because I love I love that line so much just out the get I loved it because it has immediate callbacks you think about the archer on lover I never grew up it's getting so old I never grew up it's getting so old help me hold on to you Mm -hmm. and What my brain immediately jumps to is this is what the people who criticize Taylor Swift say over and over. Like, she's aging, but she's acting the same. She's still whiny and playing the victim, like, blah, 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 blah. And we know that Taylor is strong and resilient. Like, we as fans know that. But we also know and understand that she has moments where what people say about her get to her and she believes it. Because even though she's detached from personhood and admits a lot of that in this song, she still is a person. And Mm -hmm. even if the world loves her, there are enough people that hate her that it hurts. And she also has the line in Nothing New, how can a person know everything at 18 but nothing at 22? How can a person know everything at 18 but nothing at 22? And I think about that line and I think about how Taylor is frozen at the age she got famous is something she said in Miss Americana and she might be getting older but 
is she really learning anything new? I'm sure she likes to think she is, and we know that she is. We've seen her display growth, but it probably doesn't feel like it when everyone is telling her that she's not. Yeah, but she just sings about the same types of breakups now at 33 that she did when she was 16. That's what people reduce her to even currently. Like her news of her split with Joe Alwyn and shitty people in the shitty Facebook comment sections were like the perfect fodder for her next breakup song Mm -hmm. as if like she didn't get out of a serious six year long relationship with valid feelings about what went on also I cannot believe that I never put this tie together I'm sure you have the tolerated stan but the lyrics are so much older and wiser and I wait by the door like I'm just a kid you're so much older and wiser and I I feel like the idea of watching other people, you know, learn and it seems like they have their shit together, but you know that your shit isn't together is kind of like such a wide felt thing among just everybody. Like, I know I feel that way too. Like I look at other people my age and I'm like, wow, they're they're adulting so well, if you will, not to out myself as a millennial, but <laughs> but they just look like they have their shit together. And why am I struggling so hard? Like, what's wrong with me? But everybody deals with that. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody feels like they're genuinely getting wiser with age, even though like we all are. So I feel like this is very, very relatable. One of my favorite quotes of all time is nobody your age knows what they're doing either, no matter what age you are. And I love that line. Mm -hmm. And, And speaking of lines, I saw this annotation online that I really loved. Oscar Wilde, which, of course, famous writer, 1800s, you get the gist, wrote this novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray. And in that novel, there's a line that says, with age comes wisdom, but sometimes age comes alone. And we know Taylor likes to read and that she takes old documents to inspire her work. And I have a hard time believing that she hasn't read Oscar Wilde and that she hasn't thought about that specific quote before. Like, I'm supposed to get this wisdom when I age, but I'm not. And as I'm getting older, I feel alone, not just with my interpersonal relationships, but I don't even feel like I have myself anymore because there's no wisdom. Mm -hmm. She thinks, she feels. Genuinely, though, we all know what we're doing because we're managing and she is getting wiser with age because we see it, but she has these moments where she doesn't feel it. So the next line, midnights become my afternoons when my depression works the graveyard shift. All of the people I've ghosted stand there in the room. That was a big chunk, but they all really flow together when she sings it. So I had to say it. And if you don't know, a graveyard shift is a colloquial term for when people work from like usually like midnight to like 6 to 8 a.m. Yeah, like the night shift. Yeah, it's her basically saying in the middle of the night. So midnight's become her afternoons. She's up late. We know she's up late. Always up late too. Like if midnight's become her afternoons, it's become normal for her to be up all night long. That's normal. Just like an afternoon is normal for you if you are sleeping a good normal schedule. And we know this about her. She said in an interview during the Lover era about how 
she thinks about her songs, goes and writes them on the piano, and the interviewer goes, in the middle of the night? And she goes, yeah, almost always in the middle of the night. And I get this idea, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to sleep anyway. So she walks over and does it. And I love that Taylor Swift represents us night owls. <laughs> as far as productivity goes, because everyone's like, early bird gets the worm. And I'm like, well, the early worm gets Not if the early bird is half asleep trudging through the morning. <laughs> exactly. So when she's talking about the depression working the graveyard shift, she's explicitly saying that her depression, her anxiety takes over in the middle of the night. And that's where a lot of her art comes from because tortured artistry is a thing. There's a reason tortured artist is a cliche. She makes that art when she feels broken. Yeah. A lot of her music is, is inspired by intense emotions, whether that's happiness or sadness and she's said time and time again that her songwriting and her craft is a form of therapy for her like it's like writing in a diary for her even if she writes a song and doesn't intend for it to ever see the light of day that's how she gets through it she writes a song our theory for nothing new given how vulnerable it is was that she definitely wrote it at age 22 when she was writing the red album but she didn't mean for it to ever be something that people listen to because it's a deeply insecure, deeply personal struggle. And now that she's so far removed from it, that's why she's released it now. But I think she has many, many, many songs that she knows for sure will never, ever see the light of day. Oh God, but I want to see them. Mm -hmm. I also like that she's almost personified her depression by saying it works the graveyard shift. It's coming in, it's doing what it does every single night. And I want to take this moment, a lot of people criticized this particular line who don't know Taylor Swift and were like, oh, she's trying to be relatable with depression and anxiety. And I want to condemn all of those people because they do not know what they're talking about. You are not paying attention if you don't recognize that Taylor Swift has your quote-unquote relatable mental illness. It's not cool to be depressed or be anxious, but a lot of people are. And her representation does matter. And she does have depression and anxiety. Yeah. And for those of us who pay attention, like we know all of the triggers too. like people who aren't in the fandom see her as a, we are never already in bed together, shake it off love story star. And they don't listen to her actual struggles throughout the years, which mm -hmm. there are many of them. Many oh. songs allude to her struggles throughout the years. Oh, yeah. And I love that she does the play on words here with this line. All the people I've ghosted stand there in the room and she's talking about the graveyard shift. It's a very fun play on words to lead us into this. But when we're talking about the people that she's ghosted stand there in the room, we know that what she actually means is ditching usually a romantic partner with no warning, but it can also be people that you're just like dodging. You can ghost your friends. That's totally happened before. And it's like saying that even though she's physically alone in this room, it's like she's looking around and visualizes all of these people that she's ghosted. And she's bailed on and she feels like she's let them down. That's what I hear at least. And if we go back to the Archer again, which will probably end up in this series, she says the line, I wake in the night, I pace like a ghost. The room is on fire, invisible smoke, and all of my heroes die all alone. That was like a precursor in a lot of ways. I feel like the archer is into what she breaks down in Antihero. Yeah, I 100% agree. 
So heading into the pre-chorus here, she starts with, I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices. I end up in crisis. I, what a cleverly done <laughs> pre-chorus with all the it alliteration. so well. <laughs> it is a tongue twister for sure when you're singing it, when you're saying it. And she, in a lot of ways, is acknowledging that she comes up with all of this creative stuff and it sends her into a tailspin. I feel like with these lines, taking it one step at a time and breaking it down exactly what she means by the words she's saying is at least for me, the best way to understand what she's saying to me. So when she says, I should not be left to my own devices, she's saying like, I shouldn't be left alone with these thoughts to like take over. Like I probably share these with somebody else to kind of quell these fears and everything because they come with prices and vices. Prices meaning at the expense of her own happiness and mental health is how I interpret it. Yeah. And I didn't personally know what a vice was, so I had to look it up. Really? Yep. So that's why I like to break it down, because I don't like to assume people know these words mean, because I don't know what a lot of words mean. <laughs> no, you're you're totally fine. Well, that's because you, you don't have any really bad vices, I don't think. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I cannot think of a vice that you have that I think of as really bad. But yeah. tell so the people what, what I what I understand is that it is a bad personality trait. So yeah, it's from my understanding of vices, it is a way to it's a coping mechanism. So like smoking is a vice, drinking is a vice, mm -hmm. gossiping is a vice, immoral or wicked behavior. Yeah, and it's it's like a way to get by has always been my understanding of vices. And Taylor has sung and spoken about alcoholism before because, frankly, from an outsider perspective, I don't think she has a problem with alcohol. I think she indulges more than the average person. And alcohol is a vice, whether we admit it or not. And I think that she leans into that vice when she is working the graveyard shift with her depression. And then she says the tale is old as time in the background. And I saw this annotation online that I think is so much fun because, of course, tale is old as time is a reference to Beauty and the Beast because Miss mm -hmm. Potts sings in the Beauty and the Beast song, Tale is old as time, song is old as rhyme, Beauty and the Beast. But the Beast in Beauty and the Beast is a classic example of an anti-hero. He does mm -hmm. things to justify his own actions that are objectively wrong. But he finds ways to justify them. So I don't know if that was a direct nod to Beauty and the Beast and having a good example of an antihero, but there is one. And also this annotation, it's so fun because we just did August a few weeks back. But you know how when you're talking about the August lyrics and she did the almost play on words where you can hear one thing, but she says another, meet me behind them all, but you could hear meet me behind them all. Taylor's oldest time could be heard as Taylor's oldest time. We're done with her. She's, she's nope. whatever. We're moving past nope. her now. She's older, but never wiser. Oh my gosh. I've never heard that before. I know. I didn't see that until I started researching. Yeah. My interpretation of that line is even different from those two things because it's obviously like, a fantasy like princess fairy tale reference which taylor was well well known for during her like teenage like era of music like during um fearless and speak now 
love story and enchanted and long live to me like it almost comes across as this has been going on since then people think that she plays the victim yeah and she's never grown up from it i feel like that's probably what the intention of that line is the pre-chorus continues with i wake up screaming from dreaming one day i'll watch as you're leaving because you got tired of my scheming for the last time when I first heard this line, I thought she was talking about Joe Alwyn. I do not think she was talking about Joe Alwyn. I think she's talking about her fans. And that did not take me very long to like loop back to that conclusion. I think it was like the second or third listen through that I was like, that's what she means. But she sings in Mastermind about how she's been scheming like a criminal ever since, since she was a kid, to make people love her and make it seem effortless. And that applies to her fans as well. It applies to us. So... What if one day she wakes up and everybody is tired of her being a mastermind and they don't want to be a fan of her anymore because they're sick of her Machiavellian traits? I feel like it almost applies to everybody in her life. I bet yeah. it did apply to Joe and us as fans and everyone that loves her, that if they get to know her too much, they they want to leave. Like, I mean, I think the song Mastermind supports, like, I think Mastermind is about Joe Alwyn. And I think that supports that this could apply to, every, like, in general, whoever is listening. Mm. And I talked earlier about how The Archer is, like, the prequel to Antihero for me. And in the chorus, I've been the archer, I've been the prey. Who could ever leave me, darling? Who could stay? And her anxiety about screaming from dreaming because you're, she's watching people leaving her. She is so afraid of being alone. Yeah, and she has Taylor, nightmares. She has nightmares about it. And Taylor in, specifically has this whole detachment from being a person. So she already feels alone. But imagine being that alone. Where not only are you alone in the way that your life has become unmanageable, but you're alone because you don't have anyone, your fans, your family, no one. And she's in kind of kind of a very isolated position. Like Taylor Swift can't trust nearly anybody with her deep thoughts like this because her deep thoughts like this would make people a lot of money selling them to tabloids. I think I read somewhere that um, Taylor Swift stated that she's never ever gone to therapy or anything like that because she just talks to her mom. And she's like, class a like example of somebody who could really benefit from therapy given all of her struggles and handling fame i get that famous people are privileged but with the privileges come a lot of negativities as well and that's a lot of pressure on one person i know so many of us who aren't famous already need and pursue therapy because of the pressures we feel from normal life i can't imagine the pressure she feels i'm sure she doesn't pursue therapy because how do you find one to trust with all of your completely honest and unfiltered thoughts and feelings when you are taylor swift i don't know i know harry styles as a therapist maybe they know someone i don't know if you saw that clip of him at his show where he's like this is a special night my therapist is here it's gonna be a good one <laughs> So I'm sure can. she has like a massive fear though of because I mean all of her enemies started out friends people she trusted have consistently like flipped on her mm -hmm. her entire life which leads us into the chorus of that 
almost self-realization of that of oh it's me hi I'm the problem it's me that line that was on everybody's TikTok for you pages so memeable total earworm worthy (laughs) and it's her confessing that in her brain this is her fault and it's like a very direct nod to the meme that was going around from like 2011 why did I say 11 like that from 2011 (laughs) all the way up until even now of Taylor's the problem she and Joe broke up and people are like like my my coworker Howard was like all I'm saying is that she's complaining about all of her relationships and I'm like well first of all everybody does and second of all she literally said she's the problem she feels like the problem because it keeps not going the way that she wants it to go and and call it what you want from reputation she literally has the lyric and I know I make the same mistakes every time bridges burn I never learn I make the same mistakes every time bridges burn. I never learn. At least I did one thing right. Yeah. And the thing is, like we were saying, when we were talking about the very first line, she does learn. She does. Everybody does. Like that's human nature to learn and redo or like reevaluate the way you go about life based off of past mistakes. Everybody does that. I guess maybe I take this line, at least at this part in the song, I take it as a little bit of like, you're right. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. You keep telling me I'm the problem. So I guess I'm the problem. I think later it gets a little bit more. Wow. I'm the problem. But yeah, it definitely feels like a response to how people trash talk her. Yeah, it feels really kitschy here. And I think that does change. And also I think about Afterglow from Lover here. Hey, it's me in my head. I'm the one who burned us down. Say, hey, it's all me in my head. I'm the one who burned us down. She battles with herself constantly. She feels like she's her own worst enemy. And even though this is her kitschy version of the line of it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. She's still like, there's a voice being like, yeah, girl, you are. She didn't say this song was about self-loathing for nothing. True. So we move into the next line, tea time, everybody agrees. I feel like this just drives home that what people say about her in mass on social media, in the media in general, really, really gets to her. At tea time, I personally believe is a direct reference to in 2016 when I forget which Kardashian sister posted that tea time like like picture on Instagram Mm -hmm. when Kim posted the the snake video and it started to go downhill from there every time Taylor references tea time my brain says that's what it is (laughs) I think it is too yeah it was Kendall Mm -hmm. and you know we all know tea is a reference to the hot goss the gossip mm-hmm. of the moment so that's what she's saying and people are gossiping and talking shit about taylor swift she knows that they agree because she sees it yeah she also gets tea served to her in the look what you made me do video mm-hmm. she like reenacts that instagram picture so the next line is i'll stare directly at the sun but never in the mirror and this okay line I think sums up the whole song this is the line of the song even if it just moves into the final line of the chorus because what she is saying here is 
I don't want to do the self-word reflection. I don't want to look inward. Looking inward is too painful. I would rather stare in the hot spotlight and take everything in from everyone else before I do any inward looking because there's no incentive to do that. And I interpret the line, I'll stare directly at the sun as like instead of looking into the mirror, like she she wants to avoid the self-reflection so bad that she's willing to continue doing the thing that has been hurting her. Because like you stare at the sun that's physically damaging to you and she's willing to go through that instead of looking at herself. Obviously, this is a very personal song and this line sums it up so well with basically saying that examining everything that's wrong with her is too painful as opposed to just blaming others. And Antihero is a personal responsibility ballad, not even ballad, like pop song that she does confess right there. Like, yeah, no, I'm the problem, but I don't really want to figure out why. Yeah. I almost take it as like, I know I'm the problem, but I would rather completely like kill myself in my self pity and self hatred rather than unpack my self-hatred and get to the root of it and fix it because that experience is more painful than staying up all night and hating myself Mm -hmm. and then we get to the final line of the chorus it must be exhausting always rooting for the anti-hero and i remember the first time that i heard that line and i was shook because that to me is her saying to family friends but i think primarily fans it must be exhausting being my fan and defending me all of the time haven't you had enough yeah she's like i don't get why you defend me so much of course an anti-hero is like we were talking about earlier it's somebody who doesn't really have traditional hero like qualities but they're still technically the protagonist like Mm -hmm. she understands that she is not always defendable. She's not a perfect person. She, she of all people knows it. In the least weird way, and hopefully the most relatable way, being a fan of Taylor Swift can be exhausting, but not because of Taylor Swift, because of yeah. everybody else. Yeah, defending because of her. sexism. <laughs> well, yes, because of sexism, but defending her for things that I just don't have time to explain to everyone. Like my coworker, Howard, I could sit down and explain to him the ways that he is wrong about her relationships. But man, that's an exhausting fight. And when well, I, I think a lot of that stuff is rooted in sexism, everyone oh, it is. To jump onto Taylor Swift because of their inherent sexism, not because they hate women. So they hate Taylor Swift. But the reason why people are so ready to jump down her throat is you're right doesn't make it any less less exhausting it's not her fault but yeah it's exhausting rooting Mm -hmm. for taylor swift because it's a battle that i will continue to fight and i'm not gonna stop fighting but everybody else makes it so hard and taylor here almost makes it sound like i'm doing things so wrong i'm so sorry that this is hard on you when the truth is it's not anything she has or hasn't done (laughs) yeah And then the most infamous line, if we're ready for it. Yeah, hit me. Sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby, which I think we need to end it there just to break that part down. (laughs) So the first thing I'm going to say is that the people who get it, get it. And the people that don't, perhaps never will. And also I'm jealous of them. But when I hear sexy baby, I hear two things. First of all, I hear the episode from 30 Rock where Tina Fey's character straight up is like 
that's a sexy baby. It's a woman who's infantilizing herself to become more sexually attractive, which has some really weird implications, but it's true that for some reason that's, you know, it's pedophilic and weird, but that men are attracted to that in large. And I also hear as a woman, yeah, that is the expectation of me is to stay looking young, to stay being youthful, but don't look too youthful and don't make it weird, but stay a sexy baby. The whole societal pressure on women to remain as youthful as possible like aging gracefully when men can like be called silver foxes as they don't age gracefully like women is just so hypocritical I mean if you sit here and analyze everything that women go through in order to avoid wrinkles like why are we avoiding wrinkles right to look younger like looking younger is a compliment like that's why we have the excessive skincare we do that's why Botox exists that's like the biggest proponent besides skin cancer obviously to like not tanning and wearing your sunscreen is you don't want to be wrinkly when you're 40 but that is a natural occurrence in human beings is to age women are considered lesser if they do age And for most of history, aging was like considered natural and beautiful and a status symbol because people didn't get the opportunity to age. And now we have the medical advancements that we do. So if you can see the aging, something is wrong with you. It is important that you stay a sexy baby. And because Taylor has said that women are discarded in this elephant graveyard in the industry at a certain age, it's important for her to not represent the age that she's becoming. She's into her 30s now. She's almost mid-30s, and she needs to stay a sexy baby, even though she's in her mid-30s. And to the people that say, I don't care the meaning of the lyrics, the line is cringy, I think the line is supposed to make you viscerally uncomfortable. Imagining a baby, like an actual infant as sexy is supposed to make you feel disgusted because quite frankly, the pressure on women to remain youthful and young looking is also disgusting. Mm -hmm. It is rooted in pedophilic tendencies. Why do men go for girls freshly 18? They're not different from 17 or 16. Mm -hmm. It's totally pedophilic. There's There's a lot that we could unpack on this podcast. There's just a lot of pressure on women to stay looking young. And Taylor feels that so intimately because in the next line, she says, and I'm the monster on the hill. And important that she's on the hill because like the, the phrase over the hill means you, you're birdie, like gone over your hump of your age. You've passed your peak. You're going down from here, going down the hill. And she's on the hill. She's very much self-aware that she's on the verge of being considered an elderly pop star and Mm -hmm. she keeps like pushing where that peak of the hill is I think Taylor Swift specifically is at least right now like nobody's tired of her yet nobody thinks no young girls think she's unrelatable yet but she knows that she will cross that peak at some point and she's teetering yeah and she's pushing that back as far as she can And she also like very literally physically thinks of herself as a monster because she's like about 5'11". She's almost 5'11". And that's very tall. And while she's since learned to embrace it, and as somebody who's short, I'm 5'1", I would kill to be taller. But, you know, the grass is always greener, right? She'll walk up to a group of women and they're all shorter than her and she feels unrelatable to them, which I get on the opposite end. I walk up to a group of people and I feel like a child in most groups. And, like, stuff like that, 
well, it, you know, overall isn't a big deal. It only helps to feed your insecurities that you already don't fit in. And I think you can physically see that on her, how much confidence she has gotten since being young. She literally never wore high heels before. She went through that whole ballet flats era and her posture is shit. She's always like hunched over. And I think that's because she's insecure about how tall she is. And so whenever I see her out and about with heels and like standing up like straight, I'm so proud of her. (laughs) Me too. Also, this line, if we move into the next one here, we have too big to hang out, slowly lurching toward your favorite city. And when she calls herself the monster on the hill, she is also speaking metaphorically about her being too big to live, being a name, you know, like force. You can't just like go to a local coffee shop without it causing a wild commotion. Even at the Kennedy wedding, which we talked about in the Muses Connor Kennedy, Even at the Kennedy wedding, she walked into this wedding, again, of a Kennedy, and all eyes were on her. And this is going to be a normal plus one in her speak now era. Like she wasn't near as big as she is now. She is just this untouchable, unrelatable almost force. And that's how she sees herself. I bet she's insecure being like her friend's bridesmaid and stuff like that, too. I wonder if she's ever told people no. I also hear like slowly lurching toward your favorite city. And I'm like, is she talking about when she goes on tour and she's bouncing from tour to tour? But what I actually think think it means, all jokes aside, is she's getting close. She's going to take over something that's important to you. She's slowly lurching toward taking some of the limelight. Yeah, I always interpreted it as she shuts down cities when she goes city to city. Like literally cities on this tour renaming their city after her and i'm sure the people that don't like her are infuriated oh i'm certain which i kind of love she's so hyper aware of the people that hate her and then comes the line pierced through the heart but never killed again i'm calling back to the archer there's gonna be so many archer clips in this one because that's the archer it's an arrow right through her heart she's been the archer but she's been the prey she's been targeted before and she will continue to get targeted because she is pierced through the heart with an arrow but she continues to survive even though it hurts her every single time and especially when she's slowly lurching toward your favorite city i have this image of like godzilla or even on tour the imagery behind her during anti-hero is her being Godzilla-like and taking down a city and imagining her getting shot at with these arrows, like she hasn't been taken down yet. And even when she has been taken down, she references this a lot in her music through so many different metaphors. Like, and look what you made me do. Honey, I rose up from the dead. I do it all the time. Or you're losing me. Um, she says, I'm tired. I'm getting tired even for a phoenix, always rising from the ashes, mending all her gashes. I'm getting tired even for a phoenix, always rising from the ashes, mending all her gashes. She constantly feels like she's getting shot down and torn down, only to rise up again just for it to happen again. And it's just a repetitive cycle, and she feels like she'll never reach the end of it. 
So the pre-chorus kicks off with my favorite lyric in the entire song. It is so relatable to me, and I can't believe that it's not relatable to more people. I feel kind of alone, except at least I have Taylor Swift on my side. We go in with, did you hear my covert narcissism? I disguise as altruism, like some kind of congressman. I love this line, and a lot of people hear this line, and they're like, oh, this is the tabloid saying these things about her. I don't think it's that. I think she is being so confessional right here, and we might disagree on that. I think this is her saying, like, when she does things that are altruistic, that do help other people, she's doing it in part because it makes her feel good. But we all do that, right? Like, when we do good things for others, it makes us feel good. And I don't think that that's narcissism, but I think she sees that as this isn't me being altruistic. This is me being narcissistic. It's her saying, like, I'm checking all these boxes that a good person should do. So you think I'm a good person. So I make sure that you think well of me. Exactly. And for those who aren't from America, that's what American Congress people do. Politicians are known for being deceitful and hiding intentions from voters because it makes them feel good to be praised. Obviously, being a narcissist is it's a whole mental health issue of being self-absorbed in essence and doing self-serving behaviors. And I don't think that Taylor Swift is a narcissist necessarily. I, I really I haven't met her in person and I'm also not a psychologist. I cannot make that diagnosis. I don't think she's a narcissist, but I do relate to her feeling of sometimes, for example, when I go volunteer at a soup kitchen or something, or I give money to somebody who's homeless, I feel good. And I hate that I'm like, wow, I feel good because that's not the point or it shouldn't be the point, but it still feels good. I feel like there's a lot of gray between doing altruistic things, which is helping and caring about other people or other things besides yourself. There's a lot of gray there and you're doing it because you're completely selfless or you're doing it because you're completely selfish. I think the vast majority of people fall in the middle. Like you're doing it so you don't feel like a piece of shit about yourself in your cozy, privileged life. And you're doing it because like you do on some level care about other people, but it's not wrong to care about yourself and it's not wrong to care about other people. So like it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. You know, my sister Brianna has said that before that she was told one time when she was younger and she stands by it. Now I kind of do too, that 10% of people are genuinely just good altruistic people. And 10% of people are really bad, genuinely evil people and everybody else falls in that 80 percent and i think taylor swift just falls in the 80 percent like most of us do she probably gets a really good dopamine feeling when she goes from city to city and donates the money that she does to the food banks in that Mm -hmm. city she still is doing something that is objectively good and she should can and can and does feel good about doing it but she's worried that She's doing it for the wrong intentions, which is where she gets insecure. Mm -hmm. I love that line, though. I could unpack that all day. And I do believe that Congress people are more apt and likely to be actual narcissists that cope with good deeds or whatever. And then we repeat a tale as old as time. And I wake up screaming from dreaming. One day I'll watch as you're leaving. And life will lose all its meaning is a change right here for the last time. She loses her fan base. What was the point of her entire life? What was the point of all the sacrifices she made, all the shit she's gone through, if it ends in her being alone? It was all in vain for her. 
And I that line makes me so sad because, again, it's hidden under this poppy track. But singing, a watches are leaving and life will lose all its meaning for the last time. I'm like, oh, that gives me, like, suicidal vibes. I don't think Taylor Swift is suicidal, but the line... And life will lose all its meaning for the last time. That is so final. It scares me. There's a lot of really, really, really deep and scary fears here. Mm -hmm. The chorus repeats, and there's not really a whole lot of change here other than a vocal change where she takes a higher harmony on I'll stare directly at the sun but never in the mirror. But we go through the it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. At tea time, everybody agrees. I'll stare directly at the sun but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting. Always rooting for the anti-hero no change the bridge <laughs> perhaps other than sexy baby the most contested part about this song because it sounds it's so camp she goes on to say i have this dream my daughter-in-law kills me for the money she thinks i left them in the will the family gathers round and reads it and then someone screams out she's laughing up at us from hell I remember the first time we heard this and it got a little bit quieter and you and Kaz were saying something and I like grabbed your thigh and I'm like, no, no, listen, what is she saying? And all I thought was about Knives Out. <laughs> and the music video is kind of like that too. <laughs> it is. If you haven't seen Knives Out, it is this incredible whodunit murder mystery from 2019. And it's kind of that same com concept right it's about somebody who dies somebody very wealthy and the entire family i don't want to spoil the movie but the bridge covers it pretty well and mm -hmm. the entire family is banking on hoping that they were left in the will of this wealthy guy and i was immediately thinking about knives out because the character in knives out that does die is a very good person and likes to think of himself as a very good person and rewards good behavior, but also thinks of his family as being parasitic and thinks of them as only being around him and keeping the relationship with him, knowing that he will die someday. And I see that as being reflected in Taylor here of saying, my daughter-in-law is going to kill me for the money. People are only around me and only give me any sort of time or love because they think that it will have some sort of return for them in the end, whether with fame or with money. Even if they are related to you, technically by family. I know she's quoting daughter-in-law, not like my actual daughter. But I think she has a lot of fears of having children. And one of them is, one, will she ever be able to provide a good life for a child that isn't going to extremely fuck them up? And, like, whoever they choose to date, are they going to end up with them because their mom is Taylor Swift? Yeah, she's too big to hang out. I think that really breaks down her struggle of not feeling like a real person because her name and her image is so much bigger than the average person. I also think that this part of the song is her directly saying like, am I a person or am I a business? Am I literally just the art that I make and the money that I am worth? Even amongst her own family. I'm not real. I am a brand. She's not safe anywhere. And I also love the she's laughing up at us from hell line because the implication there is that Taylor was actually a bad enough person to go to the Christian idea of hell. Yep. So not doing well, basically. No. <laughs> Again, I don't think that Taylor Swift is quite on hell level, but religion is 
you know. But when her subjective. depression works the graveyard shift, that's what it tells her. Then we get into the part of the song Olivia was kind of breadcrumbing earlier about how the it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me turns into almost her like having an anxiety attack into the microphone because it's like it's me hi i'm the problem it's me and then it's like it's me hi like everybody agrees do you think that this is a reference to snake yes i do too absolutely 100 percent. there's no way everyone calling her a snake and Mm -hmm. she that really really hurt her (laughs) it sounds it really does sound like her like a visualization I imagine is her looking in the mirror being like yeah it's me hi I'm the problem it's me and then like making eye contact with herself in the mirror of it's me hi (laughs) like you know when you're really drunk and you're staring at yourself in the mirror and you're like oh shit what did I do how did I get here that's Mm -hmm. what I imagine (laughs) like I said earlier the it's me hi I'm the problem is it's me throughout the song is like, yeah, she thinks she's a shit person, but she's like, you guys are right. Aren't you happy? I'm admitting it. And this is when like, you know, even the instrumental dies down here. So she doesn't have the fun beat anymore. And she's by herself. And she's like, yeah, I'm 100% the problem. And this is my realization of it. Like, I'm not just making fun of the people that say this about me and putting on a brave face I don't have a brave face anymore I don't know when Antihero was written but I do know that in May of last year in 2022 Kendrick Lamar who we know she loves bad blood released an album called Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers and that album which is phenomenal has a lot of songs on it that address like generational trauma and also how famous people cannot be your saviors he even opens up his opening songs the whole album with the song Savior Kendrick made you think about it, but he is not your savior. About famous rappers and how they cannot be your savior. And I think about Taylor having the same concept of, man, it must be exhausting. Rooting for the anti-hero, rooting for me. I cannot be your savior. I'm working on saving myself here. And failing, (laughs) right? Because the song wraps up just again with her after she does the everybody agrees to, it's me, hi, all peppy and happy. Mm-hmm. And just repeats the chorus again. We're, we've been going around saying that we think Antihero is so poppy and catchy because she's hiding her lyrics behind the peppy and poppy and catchy. But what if it's like a metaphor for her actual life, right? Like she puts on this face of pop star fun. Like I, I'm loving the era's tour. I'm having such a good time. And then she has the bridge moment of, me hi i'm the problem it's me when all of like that fun peppy pop shit cuts out and she's left alone with her thoughts in the quiet dark night wow i like that take it's kind of just like a musical trojan horse yeah getting you to listen to that song for how poppy it is when it's like this deep confession and then you see the breakdown or post bridge Mm -hmm. like it, it almost feels like a metaphor for her life in general like she always seems so happy and shit when she performs like she doesn't have these problems, you know? Yeah. Wow. And that's anti-hero, lyrically. Yeah. I love yeah. anti-hero. Uh, in a lot of ways, I'm sad that she made it the lead single because I do not like when songs suffer from Taylor Swift single syndrome. That yeah, being said. I'm anxious for Cruel Summer. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? Cruel Summer coming out as a single. <laughs> <laughs> but in that same vein, I just... 
I think that it was such a phenomenal lead single because it was so confessional, because I think it's so well written. It was Taylor's favorite on the album for a reason. Yeah. It's, it's weird. One of her songs of all time that she's written. Yeah, it's weird and it's camp. And she likes it enough that she released a Bleachers remix like two weeks <laughs> after the original. And it's a regular on the Eras Tour set list for, I mean, like, obviously we knew that it was going to be. And we'll unpack the music video, which adds even more layers at a later date yeah. when we get back to our music video breakdown series. But <laughs> people loved this song. I'm pretty sure it became her longest running number one. Yeah, it was very, very successful. Antihero was also Taylor's first, quote, wide success on U.S. radio formats since Delicate came out in 2018, and it debuted at number 13 on the Radio Songs chart, which is a personal best for Taylor, so I think that's noteworthy. really impressive that it was, like, stacked up to Delicate like that. I know that, like, we don't talk about Delicate, like, it was a massive hit, but as like a, a dormant Swifty is what I'm going to call myself during the rap era. I was a dormant Swifty. <laughs> I heard delicate absolutely fucking everywhere, everywhere, all the time. Years later, years after the fact of reputation, I heard delicate everywhere. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Antihero spent eight total weeks at the top spot of the Hot 100, which did surpass Blank Space in 2014. And the only thing that could boot it off was All I Want for Christmas is You and Christmas Season came around last year. And that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's That's going to happen every single year, no matter who's Always. in the number one exactly. spot. Also, it spent 28 weeks in the Hot 100 Top 10, which does blow right past Shake It Off, which was the longest running Top 10 single by Taylor. That's so interesting to me. The first time she performed it live was on January 12th of 2023 when she popped out as a very surprised guest at the London show of the 1975's tour at their very best. Ooh. But we do get to see her do it every week on the Eras tour, which I think is great. It's a good song. It's a good song. I love this song. Again, I know that it's so basic. I That's why I hated when it was released as a single, because my first favorite was Antihero. I listened through the whole album, and I was like, Antihero's my bitch. It's my little baby. And then, and then we have like, non-Swifties walking around being like, yeah, I like Antihero so much. And you're yes. like... God. And we're so far removed now from my favorite album, 1989, that I can say, oh, yeah, like every song on 1989 is a banger, even the ones that people shit talk, like Shake It Off or Bad Blood. Blank Space is great. Wildest Dreams is great. Those didn't suffer from Taylor Swift single syndrome for me because they're not as fresh and recent. But now if I say, oh, my favorite Taylor Swift song is Antihero at the moment or whatever or from Midnight's, then it's, yeah, of course it is, you basic bitch. <laughs> Name all, all the songs that Taylor Swift has ever written. <laughs> <laughs> and critics love this song too which really shouldn't be a surprise people gave it so much acclaim called it the best lead single choice that she's had in quote ages which i agree with i guess even though i think cardigan is great i just think anti-hero is so good it was called an earworm a litany of small hours self-loathing and that she doesn't even need to compete with her peers as far as her lyricism and music because she blows right past them i love that and John Murphy of Music OMH did regard Antihero as a Taylor Swift classic in the making and saying it's one of the best songs that she's ever written. DIY said Antihero is Taylor Swift's best lead single. And lastly, GQ named Antihero one of the best songs released in 2022. And that is just a, a drop in the ocean of critical reception regarding this song. People loved it. It was hard to find a negative word about this song. Yeah, the only like negative things I've heard about it 
were from people who just deeply hated Taylor Swift because they have some deep-rooted misogyny. And like general population, let's be clear. If you're a gen pop person, you're not a music critic, and you're like, yeah, the song's cringy because of the line, sexy baby. You're not a music critic. You don't get it. And you're probably also not a woman. So you don't get it. Yeah. Or like, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem with it's me. Like, that's not like explicit poetry. But like, Taylor Swift is queen of writing simple lyrics on purpose because it's supposed to be simple. Sometimes you're just supposed to listen and get it. Not everything needs to be a quill lyric. Yeah, not everything needs to be the bridge to champagne problems. Right. Which Taylor Swift also wrote. (laughs) (laughs) In the name of Tay Learning, what did you Tay learn this week, Danny? I Tay learned. I hadn't even thought about the line, Tay as old as time, being like, I knew it was a direct reference to Beauty and the Beast, but I never really thought about the Beast being an anti-hero. And I feel like that's a little on the nose. I think it was intentional. That's so funny that that's the thing you Tay learned because my Tay learn is also about that line. What did you say that people said that it almost sounded like? Taylor's oldest time. I never, never thought about it like that. Me neither. It like changes the way I listen to that lyric because I explicitly thought of it as love story era Taylor (laughs) Swift. That's like it. That's like the limit of my analysis. (laughs) Oh, as always, Taylor has a million meanings to every line. (laughs) That's always why I love doing stuff like this because everybody has different interpretations and you know us as close friends we both love taylor swift but it's fun to unpack what taylor swift means to each of us because it's oftentimes very different before olivia tells us what we're going to be talking about next week future me is going to pop in right here and tell you all who won the giveaway so future me take it away Thank you for the introduction, Past Me, and I'm just going to step in real quick, like Past Me said, so that we can talk about who won our giveaway. If you've been following for a few weeks, you know to celebrate our one-year anniversary of Tay Learning, we are giving away a signed insert with a jade green midnight CD. These ran on very limited edition last fall before the album even came out, and we snagged an extra one for a special occasion like this. And you guys showed up and showed out. We had around 500 people enter the giveaway with hundreds of friends tagged and DMs of people telling us what our favorite songs are, which by the way, my favorite song from Taylor Swift is New Romantics and Olivia's favorite song from Taylor Swift is Haunted. So to the fans who did message us telling us what those favorite songs were, your chances of winning were doubled. Now, all of that to say, After randomly drawing the winner, the winner is Kaylee Boyle 2. We are going to share her on the Instagram so that everybody can see that she did win. And Kaylee will be getting that to you here in a few weeks. Thanks, everyone, for entering. We hope to do more of these in the future. And the bigger the podcast gets, the more of these we can do. So back to Antihero. And we're back. Olivia, what are we talking about next week? So next week is a more chill episode for me and Danny, but also a very exciting one for me and Danny. We are going to talk Speak Now Taylor's version and what we're doing next week because Danny and I will be in the same city again for the first time in months. So we have to talk about everything. We have to talk about Speak Now Taylor's version coming out, what we expect, what we are hopeful for, what we think about the surprise so- surprise songs. Oh, my God. What we think the vault songs are going to sound <laughs> like. Just 
all things anticipation for that. And like we've said in past episodes, we will be spending that whole week together doing tailor-like activities. So we're going to talk more in depth as those plans have been solidifying. And we're going to talk Kansas City Eras Tour. It's just a little chit-chat hangout with us type episode. I'm so excited to talk about it. And just as a reminder, we are going to Kansas City night too. So we'd love to see y'all's pretty faces there. And if you can join us on Wednesday, July 5th at Bar K in the evening, go to our Instagram for a pin post with info about that for Taylor Swift trivia. We just, we just bought some prizes yesterday that are Taylor Swift related. So we're excited to give those out to some of you. And be sure to continue sharing the podcast with your friends. We know we just ended our one-year giveaway, but we hope you continue to share this with people that you love and think would like Taylor Swift content more. And we we keep growing every single week. And it's absolutely because you all share this with the people that you love. And we cannot thank you enough for that. Us growing keeps us accountable and keeps us putting out this content on time, as best on time as we can get it. And our best. <laughs> it makes this more and more fun and again as of right now we don't really get paid to do this so it's still a passion project and it's easy to be passionate about it when you all are too and for those of you who aren't going to be in the kansas city area next week we will be going live several several times throughout the week while we do all of our taylor themed things so if you want to hang out with us in that way please do so and we'll likely be going live either on our instagram or our tiktok page it's at taylorning podcasts if you want to email us for any reason anything you want to talk about or make any commentary on from our episodes you can email us at taylorningpodcast at gmail.com And we just love hearing from you guys. We would love to hang out with you guys on lives if you're not going to be in the city. And of course, if you are going to be in Kansas City, we would love to hang out with you in person too. So definitely keep an eye out for us. All right. I'm so excited to jump into the next couple of weeks. I love you and I miss you, Olivia. I can't wait to hug you in person. I love you, miss you. (laughs) (laughs) And we love all of you as well. And we'll chat with you next week. See you later. I wake up screaming from dreaming one day I'll watch as you all its meaning for the last time it's me hi i'm the problem it's me problem. and tea time everybody agrees i'll stare directly at the sun but never in the mirror it must be exhausting always rooting for the anti-hero such a a, sorry my cat wants attention so bad and she will not come here (laughs) well let me at least see her if she's gonna interrupt she will not leave me alone so she gets to sit in the lap okay deal (laughs) she kept like poking me with her claws and I was trying to ignore her but she was stabbing me so she's such an attention whore (laughs) no all right lay down